Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to week three of Bystander. I cannot believe we are seven days away from Easter. What in the world? This has been a crazy season for all of us, and I know in the middle of this chaos, this has been wild. I never anticipated this is where we would be on Palm Sunday, but I will tell you, nothing takes Jesus by surprise. And so as we are now celebrating the book of John, reading one chapter at a time here on, uh, on April 5th, uh, Palm Sunday, uh, we are going to be in John 15. And so read that with us, read along. We're doing little devotionals every morning that tie in and we're praying. So I invite you to not just join us on Sundays, but throughout the week there on the social media platforms. So want to tell you that you can access those final devotions on the Bible app and the 21 days in the Gospel of John. Those have been so rich. I have enjoyed reading every single one of those. You do not want to miss them. Make sure you can also catch up if you've missed some of them. But let's jump into today's message. We've been looking at the bystander John the Apostle as he writes the different stories of Jesus, his life, and the meaning behind the story. There are hidden keys that we're going to see exposed. We see him feeding the 5,000, but it's way beyond just feeding a crowd on a hillside. He's trying to tell them, I'm the bread of life. And we're going to find a hidden meaning here in the book of John chapter 9, these first 25 verses. I want to jump right in and read this scripture to you. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, teacher or rabbi, who who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, they're assuming that because something is wrong, it must have been because this man did something or his parents did something wrong. So obviously, wrong people, bad people have bad things happen, and that's how the world turns, right, Jesus? We're going to unpack that in a minute. In fact, Jesus responds to them and says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Did somebody sin that caused COVID-19? Did Jesus give us COVID-19? My theology says no. My theology says that it rains on the just and the unjust and we live in a broken world. But these things happen, he still can have his glory on display. He goes on to say, because during this time, during this time, as long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Oh, anybody ever felt, anybody felt that? (laughs) Right. No one can go to Chili's. (laughs) That's, that's kind of our deal right now. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. On week one of Bystander, we talked about Jesus being the breath of life, the bread of life, the living water and the light of life. Now, after saying this, Jesus goes off script. (laughs) He does something he's never done before. And he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and he puts it on the man's eyes. Eh, eh. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. There's several truths I want to unpack from this scripture. Before we do, would you right where you are, just take a breath and close your eyes. Maybe put your hands on your heart if you're able. 
And let's just have a prayer together. Father, your word is breathing, it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. In other words, it can cut us deep and it also can heal us. It can cut away the cancer in our life. Thank you, Lord, that the word became flesh. And that's you, Jesus. You are the embodiment, the fulfillment of the word. And so we lean into what you want to say to us today so that by the time we leave this season, this time watching online, that we will say one to another, today I've heard from God. We ask it in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. And everybody at every location said amen. Amen. Well, I wanna unpack just a few things from this simple story. The first one is this, and I'm so excited to share and remind you of this if you've forgotten in this season. Jesus is always on the move. Jesus is not a silent God. Jesus is not a, a, a passive Christ. He is not s- uh, uh, s- stopped. He is always on the move. Since the beginning of creation in the book of Genesis, we read that even God, uh, through, the body of, through the Holy Spirit, hovered over the waters of the deep. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned and fell short of God's glory, God is in the middle of the garden on the move, meeting Adam and Eve right where they are in their nakedness and in their fear. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a story we see in the book of Daniel. You can call them Shadrach and Benny. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the middle of a culture that's demanding that they bow to cultural pressure. Anybody ever felt that before? That when the music plays, you're gonna bow to this idol. And sure enough, Nebuchadnezzar strikes up the band. And everybody bows. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are over here standing strong. And the king is furious. He says, get them over here. He says, I'm going to give you a chance to bow. And they say, we're not going to bow. Even if you're going to, whatever you do to us, we will not bow to you. He throws them into the fire, throws them into the furnace. And a few moments later, one of the guards says, wait a second, weren't there three? There's, there's four people, and the fourth is like the son of God. Jesus was even on the move in that moment in the middle of the fire. Jesus is on the move when he leaves heaven to earth as a child, born into poverty, born into a mess. He's on the move at age 12 when Mary is like flipping out like a mom at Six Flags who's lost their child in the line of the roller coaster and is running all around trying to find their child. Sure enough, it's a while before Joseph and Mary find Jesus. He's 12 years old. He's teaching in the temple. And he says, mom, I have to be about my father's business. She goes, I'm gonna give you the business. You know how moms can be. She didn't quite understand that even at 12, Jesus was on the move. He's on the move into the water, baptized into ministry, into 40 days of temptation, and he is sinless. He goes and he walks through and he heals people and he he raises the dead. He's walking through a large crowd and a woman that has a major medical issue of blood squeezes through the crowd. She's unclean. She's not even supposed to be there. And if Jesus does anything with her, he actually will be breaking the, the, the law that the Pharisees had come up with. And yet this woman touches the hem of his garment and he feels 
feels the power leave. And he says, who touches me? And the disciples don't even get it. They're like, Jesus, what are you doing? You're on the move. There's 300 people in this crowd. A hundred of them are Arab pickpockets. How do you even, of course, somebody just stole your wallet probably. And yet this woman touches him and he's on the move and he stops in that moment. He breaks the law of the Pharisees, but he does the divine law of being on the move and reaching and meeting people where they are. And this story is no different. As Jesus walked along, Jesus is on the move and he reaches a man who is in darkness and that darkness is about to be eradicated. And I want you to know, listen to me, lean into the TV today, no matter where you are, no matter what you're facing, no matter what the surrounding circumstances have become in your life, you may not feel that Jesus is on the move, but I'm telling you, Jesus is on the move in your life. You can bank on it. Since the beginning of time, Jesus is an active God and he's gonna move on your behalf. Jesus is always on the move. Number two, nobody, nobody, everybody say nobody, nobody escapes the Lord's attention. Notice that it was Jesus that saw the blind man. Why? Because the blind man couldn't see anybody. Jesus Jesus sees you where you are. Sometimes if we're not careful, you know what happens? We place our weaknesses upon Jesus. So because we can't see Jesus moving, we assume Jesus isn't moving. But that's your weakness, not his. He's on the move. And you may not see him working, but, no, but you have not escaped his attention. And no matter what you've gone through in life, no matter what you've done big or small, the size of a basketball, you are the kind of person that Jesus will notice and see and love and die for before you got everything right. He paid for your sin. Nobody escapes the Lord's attention. So you can be encouraged on this Palm Sunday that he sees you right where you are. The next thought is, some issues are not our fault. Boy, that's good news. I'm going to back it up. Some issues are not our fault. Tell my wife. Tell my wife. Some issues are not my fault, Janet. Okay. Here's, here's where we pick up some depth in this story. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Who sinned? This man or his parents because obviously he must have sinned in order to be born blind. Now, here's what they were coming from. In Jewish tradition, the only way to get to God was to be cleansed. The only way to get to God was what you could do to get to God. So you would have to sacrifice an animal. You would have to oversee certain holidays. You would have to do certain things and say certain things and pray certain things and give certain things and kill certain things in order for you to get right with God. You would have to stand before a priest and the priest would have to sacrifice the unblemished animal that you would bring for, for that to cover the sins of you and your family. And in that old law, the truth was that it was written in the old law that if you sinned, your father's sin could be handed down to the third and fourth generation. But I want you to know that later on, that is actually remedied. And we see that they say, I will not, I will not put those curses upon the third and fourth generation. Not only in the Old Testament does, does that be fixed, is that fixed by God, but then Jesus becomes the ultimate sacrifice. He's the, he's the one that cleanses us. We don't, have to, we don't have to be condemned by it. You're free. 
Whom the son sets free is free indeed. But if you want to live under the hand-me-downs that your dad gave you, you can, you can, but you don't have to. Jesus wants to free you. And here's what he's gonna be showing them. No longer is it about you fixing your sin in order to get close to God. It's gonna be Jesus invading the space, Jesus adding to our life, Jesus touching our life. That's how we get right with God. And can I also say something to you? Um, We wanna formula the junk out of God. We wanna formula the thing. We think if I pray this way, if I pray a little harder, if I add two plus two plus this scripture, then this is the guarantee of the answered prayer I'm gonna get. If, if, if it doesn't happen, the formula must be I don't have enough faith or I didn't pray hard enough or I didn't pray long enough or maybe the formula is there's a missing equation because you haven't, you haven't asked God to forgive you of all the sins, even sins you don't know about. Do not swallow that lie. You cannot formula God. In fact, in Deuteronomy, we will learn this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. There are some things you cannot answer. There are some mysteries that you will not understand until you stand face to face with Jesus. Do you know in the book of Revelation, there is this moment where John the Revelator is is writing out this incredible view of the throne room. And there, the throne room of God, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And below the throne is like this, uh, like an orchestra pit you would see at, at some kind of symphony. And it's within that orchestra pit, there are martyrs, people that have died for the faith. People that their blood has been shed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what they're saying in the throne room, right next to Jesus, right there, God's on the throne. Here's what they're saying. When will our blood be avenged? Now stop. Get this, they're asking questions that they don't know the answer to and they're in the throne room of heaven. What I wanna say to you is there are just some mysteries that until God chooses to reveal them, we don't know. So instead of trying to live, trying to figure out what you don't know, look at the rest of this scripture, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. There is so much that God has revealed. I would encourage you, stop trying to find out the seven things you don't know and go back to the 7,000 promises you should know that are already very plainly given through the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Instead of trying to figure out some kind of code with numerology of this is when Jesus is coming back. Just like Rest in the goodness of God today. Like love him today. Like trust him today. Know what you know and trust what you know and trust what he's revealed and leave the mysteries up to him. He's better at it than you are. Some issues aren't your fault. It rains on the just and the unjust. What we're learning and what we read already is he says, no, 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 no. They didn't sin. It's not about the parents. Um, You're just gonna have troubles in this world. You and I are gonna face hard things. There are gonna be children in our life that are not typical, that have special needs. I remember when my brother called me crying when their middle child, Caleb, had been diagnosed with severe autism. And he was a young 
young dad. Jared called me on the phone and he was crying and he was saying, I love my son, but is this because I've been such an idiot? Is this because I sin so much that, that God is now making? I mean, he, he felt like maybe, maybe the problems that he, they were about to face in his young faith was because of something he had done. That, it, that issue isn't his fault. In fact, all issues contain seeds of honor for our Lord. And I want to tell you something. Caleb Joe Yancey, even though he can only say a few words and he's 16 years old, um, even though they have, to, they have to be like Fort Knox in their house because in one moment he's just like out the door running through the neighborhood. God has done something special in that family and has actually opened doors for my brother and his wife to start ministries all over the state of Kansas and in other states that are in churches helping families with special needs. All issues have the power to contain seeds that can germinate that will honor our God. This moment, Jesus says, neither this man or his parents sinned. But this happened just so that the works of God might be displayed in him. God doesn't make everything happen because we live in a fallen world, okay? But he can have anything that does happen be turned to work for the good. Not everything is from God. That disaster is not from God, but God can take that disaster and turn it. Do you know that David, King David, a man after God's heart, saw a woman bathing when he should have been out to battle. He says, I want her. He takes her for, him, for himself. She gets pregnant to cover up the whole sin. He has, his, her, he has Bathsheba's husband killed. Man after God's heart? Then the whole thing is exposed. Nathan the prophet goes in and says, I know what you did. I know what you've done. You took a lamb of another, of another husband and you took that lamb for your own. And now there's gonna be trouble. And David, he owned it. He could have been like what we've heard in the past. I did not have sexual relationship with that woman. Hear me. But instead he said, yeah, I messed up. I messed up. And here's what took place. Because of his repentance and his turning back towards God, that marriage between David and Bathsheba, later they would have a child named Solomon. Solomon never should have existed. Solomon never should have existed because that marriage never should have existed. It was sin that brought that marriage together. And yet Jesus will come from the line of David and it won't come from any of his other sons it will come from Solomon. Isn't it amazing that Jesus has in his own ancestry.com the son of a relationship that was an issue, but all issues contain seeds of honor for our Lord. That's good news for us today. Maybe you started off on the wrong foot, on the wrong path, and you've got some regrets. Every road, you may be on plan C. I'm telling you, Jesus can take your plan C and make it plan A 
again. You know, there's a prayer that we can pray together. And it's, it's a simple prayer, but it's a bold prayer. And, and here's, here's the simple prayer. And I'm inviting you this week leading up to Easter. This week leading up to Easter Sunday, Good Friday. Here's, here, here's the simple prayer we can, we can pray. Jesus, display your work in me. I invite you around the dinner table this week. Instead of saying, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. What if you just simply said a very simple prayer? Jesus, display your work in us. Maybe you would ask your kids, what might Jesus want to do in your life? How might Jesus want to to encourage your friends through you? While you're on the Xbox playing Fortnite, what might, how might you put Jesus on display even as you snipe that person from across the storm or whatever Fortnite is? Well, it's ridiculous. He's had a little extra practice over the last few weeks. Thanks a lot, schools. Jesus, <laughs> display your work in me, your patience. <laughs> so Jesus displays his work and he goes completely off script. He spits in the dirt and he makes mud and he packs it on the eyes. I wonder how you would respond if on Easter Sunday we were all together and as the final part of the sermon, I would just grab a bunch of dirt out from the grass and spit in it and wipe it on your eyes, you know? It'd be a little weird. Hospital visits, just bring in some dirt and some spit, you know, we're just gonna pray for you. I'm fine. It's a kidney stone. I don't need, I don't need anything on my eyes. And Jesus touches him. He says, now go wash that off in the pool of Siloam. And if you remember when we read it, the pool of Siloam, Siloam means scent. I don't know how long that pool was there. I don't know if that pool was there since the beginning of creation. I don't know if that pool was there for 10 years, 20 years, or 2000 years. But I wonder if it was named the pool of Siloam because at some point Jesus was going to send somebody there. And that pool was specifically there because nobody escapes the Lord's attention. And he is going to send somebody that has an issue. And years before he's going to create a pool and he's going to send the person to the sent pool. And all of a sudden a divine moment's going to take place. And he dips into that water and he comes out. What must it be like to have eaten an apple but never have seen a red apple? What must it have been like to hear crowds passing him by every day as he asked for alms for the poor but never having seen the crowd? He doesn't know the color of the dirt that he sits in every day. He doesn't know the face of his own parents. And in a moment, Jesus changes everything. And his blind eyes are open. Let me leave you with a couple more thoughts. Can I tell you that the worst kind of blindness is not being physically blind, but it's choosing not to see? Um, for those of you that are relatively new to the church, I haven't shared this story. But uh, I'm 100% blind in my left eye. Was, was born that way. My optic nerve didn't fully develop as a child in the womb. 
And my mom and dad didn't really find out until I was three years old. My mom would pass a, a picture um, and my eye was crossed in. In fact, up until about fourth grade, I, my eye was crossed in pretty deep. I also was the shortest kid in class. I had a growth hormone deficiency. <laughs> Lady killer formula right there, everybody. You know, The girls were like, who is that shrimp and who, who, what's he looking at? <laughs> you know. Um, my dad's a pastor and now he's a pastor of pastors. And I can't tell you how many Sunday services, Sunday night services, revivals that as a kid and teenager and young adult, that I would walk down to the front or I'd have people pray for me, praying for healing for my eye. And, and it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. Every once in a while, um, I'll pray, Jesus, boy, how cool would that be if you would heal my eye? <laughs> but he hasn't. But I want you to know that this physical blindness is not what I need the most help with. Even in my own life as your pastor, there are places where I can be blind spiritually. There are places where I can overlook a need, where I, I don't see the bigger picture, where I, where I don't see through the eyes of Jesus, I see through the eyes of my own pride and my own desires and my own wants. And the worst kind of blindness is when I know that my attitude isn't right, but I choose to have the wrong attitude. When I know my trust isn't where it needs to be, but I just choose to lean on my own understanding anyway. And that's living blind, everybody. Jesus has more for you. And I, can I just tell you some good news? The good news is you may be feel called to pray for my blind eye. I received that today. But can I just tell you this cool deal? The very first thing I will see with two good eyes is the face of Jesus. And that's okay for me. Right now, my physical eyes, I wanna see with my spiritual eyes fully what Jesus wants to do through this church and through my life and through my family. But the Pharisees, they, they chose not to believe. And we wrap this story up by reading that the Pharisees still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Because the parents raised him. And they say to the parents, is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? What's going on? You pulling a pin and teller right here? You pulling a copper field? Come on, show us your hands. Pull up your sleeves. What's going on? And the parents, they're a little timid, to be honest with you, and I'll tell you why. We know he's our son, the parents answered. Duh, he's our son, hello. And we know he was born blind because we were there. She's like, I'm the one that was in 14 hours of labor. I know he, I know my son. But how he can see now? Or how, how who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. <laughs> and so his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided. I wonder if that's you. And maybe you're a skeptic. And you've been watching this service but you've kind of already decided your own theories about God. You've decided your own theories about Jesus. You've decided your own theories about church. And I can, can I just tell you? Jesus isn't mad at you. He loves you. And even though you may doubt him, you do not escape his attention and his love and his sacrifice for you. 
I encourage you, don't be like the Pharisees who just already decide that they're not going to believe. Open your eyes and believe. He is who he says he is. They had already decided anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah, they were going to be put out of the synagogue. So the parents didn't want to lose their right to be Jewish, tradition-holding, law-keeping in Judaism. So they wanted to put it on the son. This is your deal, okay? And so they go, the Pharisees look at the son. They say, give glory to God, this blind man who now can see, this seeing man. Tell the truth, they said. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. We know he's a sinner. Tell us he's a sinner. And I love the response of this blind man who spent his whole life in darkness. He replies, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't even know. I don't know the dude. All right, I just get up and I go to my mat and I sit down with my tin cup and I say, can you help me out, please? I just put my cardboard little sign there every day and I get enough to go to the diner and get a cup of soup every once in a while. I don't know who he is. I don't know his past. I don't know his history. I don't know his parents. I don't know what he likes. I don't know what his favorite meal is, but here's what I do know. I personally experience the power of this man because I was blind, but now I see. All I, all I know. So listen, there is still so much we don't know in the culture we're living in. There is still so much we don't know about this whole COVID-19. But here's what I do know. Jesus has rescued us time and time again. He rescued me out of a bunch of junk even as a pastor's kid, just like he rescued me out of all kinds of things of trying to earn my salvation. Just to learn how to love him just as my heavenly father and not as some kind of boss that I have to serve as a good pastor. And he'll do the same for you. And all I know is he will meet you where you are. All I know is nobody escapes the Lord's attention. All I know is he's still on the move like he was Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago. And he's still washing people clean by the sacrifice he made on Easter. And he'll do the same for you. And what I encourage you to do is stop trying to figure out all the things that you don't know choose the right all I know and here's what I want to tell you is the right all I know all I know is the wages of sin is death and all I know is (laughs) while we were sinners he died for us And all I know is that if you will just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you'll rely on, if you'll cling to him, you don't have to be a bystander. You can be a recipient of his grace today. You don't have to watch by as your wife prays for your kids, dad. All I know is that he wants you to become the man you wish you were. All I know, young woman, is he wants you to know that he sees you a lot cleaner than you see yourself. That he loves you more than you, you think he does. That he loves the areas of your life that you're so embarrassed about because he says, oh, I was able to, I was able to, to touch that area and heal that area. All I know is he will meet you right where you are. But here's what you've got to do. Turn your focus on him. Lean not on your own understanding. 
yield to him and he will make your path straight. He will open your eyes. He will heal that wound. He will meet you because nobody escapes the Lord's attention. And so with that thought in mind, would you listen to the words of this song and then I'm going to pray with us together. Go ahead, Cody. Turn your eyes upon play that let me pray over you just keep playing that Cody I believe God wants to heal some of you right now in this moment I believe God has brought this technology and his anointing together in this moment to put you right in line of what God wants to do for you right now look to him invite him into your heart say God here's my hurt would you heal it here's my need would you feel it? God, I've been absent from you. Would you bring me back to you? God, I put my eyes back on you. I've been focused on this. I've been focused on that. I've let this get in the way. I've let these things cloud me. I've let this sin deter me. God, I I look back to you and I look full in your face and your face doesn't show that you're angry with me. Your face shows that you love me and you're full of joy that you want to give me and peace that passes understanding that you want to breathe into me and so Jesus I see you today but way before I see you you see me and I receive everything you want to give in this moment thank you Jesus and it's in your name we pray amen Last week we ended with this song. It's been powerfully on our heart. Before we pray it, it's not just a song we want to sing. It's not just a scripture verse. I want you to know it really is the heart of your pastor that you would be blessed. I'm really feeling the missing you. Full disclosure, I mean, not a secret, we had to film this several days in advance, but I feel like God has given me what I'm supposed to be feeling for you days ahead 
right now so that in this camera I can tell you, you are loved, you are valued, you are not forgotten. We are going to storm the gates of hell when we open this church back building back up. We are going to open wide these doors and I believe your loved ones are going to come flooding in. I believe your co-workers, they're going to realize something's been missing in their life and they're going to come flooding into Nacogdoches and into Iglesia and into the Lufkin location. I am believing with all of my heart that God has designed this. It's not a mistake. It's not a surprise to him that he is reorganizing, recalibrating our hearts so that the church is going to get stronger and stronger and that by the time 2020 is over we'll say we didn't expect it to happen that way but wow god you met us where we were and wow you did something